Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 25 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in 1 Kings 8 through 16. Let's get right into chapter 8. By the way, this is a chapter you definitely should read. It describes the Ark of the Covenant and the Tent of Meeting being brought to Solomon's temple. All of the elders of Israel, heads of tribes, and the chiefs of Israelite families are gathered for the event. Interestingly, the chapter notes, There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. Horeb, by the way, is a reference to Sinai, or it's the same mountain as Sinai. And I continue quoting, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Then Solomon turned and blessed the people. This is followed by a magnificent prayer of dedication. And I quote, When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors. Skipping down a bit, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, skipping a bit more, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Upon finishing, Solomon turns and blesses the people again on that day. Thousands of sacrifices are made. The celebration continues for 14 days before a vast assembly, and then the people are sent home full of joy. In chapter 9, God responds to Solomon's prayer, acknowledging he, that is God, had consecrated this temple by putting his name there forever. This is granted on stipulation that Israel remained faithful to God, not worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations. Otherwise, disaster will follow. The chapter also records other activities Solomon did, including building a fleet of cargo ships to transport freight, including gold, as well as silver, ivory, apes, and baboons. That list, by the way, contains some items that are mentioned in chapter 10. Now to chapter 10. By the way, it's a chapter you should read. It records a visit from the queen of Sheba, who had heard of Solomon's great wisdom. And I quote, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. After witnessing Solomon's wisdom and grand architectural works, she is overwhelmed. And she says, I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes indeed. Not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth. You have far exceeded the report I heard. The queen left Solomon with lavish gifts, and he, in exchange, sent her home with whatever her heart desired. The rest of the chapter delineates with some detail Solomon's opulent wealth, including literally tons of gold that came into the treasury every year. Among the lavish decorations Solomon commissioned were 200 large shields of hammered gold, containing 15 pounds of gold 
each. Chapter 11 begins by listing Solomon's wives and listen for it, 700 wives and 300 concubines. You heard that, a combined total of 1,000. Tragically, and now I'm quoting scripture, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This fateful turn would come at a terrible price. God, speaking to Solomon, said, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. This, however, would not occur until excuse me, under Solomon's reign, but under that of his son, Rehoboam. Solomon began having trouble with the surrounding nations, including the Edomites, as well as Hadadezer, king of Zobah, and Rezin, who settled in Damascus and was Israel's adversary for the rest of Solomon's reign. Next, we read that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and I'm quoting, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zeredah, and his mother was a widow named Zeruah. The prophet Ahijah stops Jeroboam on one of his official trips as overseer of the labor forces of the tribe of Joseph and prophesied to him that, following the death of King Solomon, he would become king of ten tribes with Solomon's son retaining only one. Solomon then tries to kill Jeroboam, so he flees to Egypt where he remains until Solomon's death. Chapter 11 ends with Solomon's death He reigned for 40 years. Chapter 12 tells the tragic story of Israel's rebellion against the house of David. That is the 10 tribes rebelling against the one tribe from which David was king, and that was Judah. Rehoboam, Solomon's son and heir to the throne, vows to rule with a harsher hand than his father, following the advice of his, and I'll add, foolish young associates, Upon hearing this, the people declare, and I quote, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. The ten tribes who had rejected David's house now rally behind Jeroboam. Civil war seems imminent, but God steps in and through prophetic voice, uh, through the prophet Shemaiah, stops them. Jeroboam sets up his government in Shechem. In an effort to consolidate his power, Jeroboam makes the dreadful mistake of making two golden calves to replace the worship at the temple which God had prescribed. He introduces them with these words, and I quote, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One of these is set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. He also built shrines and appointed, and I'm quoting, priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. His new worship rites also included a yearly festival in the eighth month. Chapter 13 records a dramatic encounter between Jeroboam and a man of God from Judah. As Jeroboam is about to offer sacrifice on his altar, the man of God cries out, and I'm quoting, Altar, altar! This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. 
This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. Jeroboam points to the man and orders him seized only for his arm to shrivel up. And the text says so that he cannot pull it back and the altar splits. By the way, the young boy or, or the boy mentioned as Josiah in this prophecy, that boy will come up in 2 Kings and we'll read his fascinating story. Probably one of the most incredibly faithful kings of Judah. So we'll get there pretty soon. Then follows a strange story of deception, an old prophet deceiving the man of God, the one who spoke to Jeroboam, resulting in that man of God, again, the one who spoke to Jeroboam, being killed by a lion, but not eaten. In the end, as might be expected, Jeroboam does not change his ways, leading to the downfall of his royal house, in fact, his whole family. Chapter 14 tells us that Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, becomes ill. So the king, Jeroboam, sends his wife to seek Ahijah, the prophet. Their names are similar, Abijah and Ahijah. Though she's disguised, this is Jeroboam's wife, prophet Ahijah immediately recognizes her, sending her back with a stern message, saying in part, You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. The message also included a word about the boy. He would die upon his mother's return. The final words of the prophet were ominous. He, God, will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And so, with the house of Jeroboam, the imminent collapse of Israel rapidly gained speed. Jeroboam reigned for 22 years and his son Nadab succeeded him. Meanwhile, Rehoboam is reigning in Judah being 41 at the beginning of his reign and reigning 17 years. Sadly, Judah, and I quote, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. As a result, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, and I'm quoting, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. One more dark note in the chapter is this single sentence, and I quote, There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Upon his death, Rehoboam's son, Abijah, succeeds him. Chapter 15 records the reigns of two kings of Judah, Abijah and Asa, as well as two kings of Israel, Nadab and Baasha. Abijah, king of Israel, did not do what was right, yet God allowed his son Asa to succeed him. It's worth noting a comment made here regarding David, and I quote, For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Conflict between Jeroboam and Abijah continues throughout his reign of three years. His son Asa succeeds him. Asa does what is right in the Lord's eyes, following the example of David. 
which included ending pagan worship practices and removing most markers of such practices. However, and I quote, although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. During his reign, there continues to be war with Israel, now ruled by King Baasha. So Asa persuades Ben-Hadad of Damascus to break his treaty with Baasha. Following this, Asa is able to make some important conquests, as well as dismantle Ramah, which Baasha had been constructing. In his old age, his feet are diseased. He dies after reigning 14 years. Now back to Israel. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, rules in his father's place for two years, doing evil. He is assassinated by Baasha, a man of the tribe of Issachar. Baasha executes all of Jeroboam's family and reigns for 24 years. Chapter 16 of 1 Kings is devoted entirely to kings of Israel, four to be exact. The chapter begins with God informing the prophet Jehu to take a message to Baasha. And I quote, I lifted you up from the dust and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. But you followed the ways of Jeroboam and caused my people, Israel, to sin and to arouse my anger by their sins. So I am about to wipe out Baasha and his house. Baasha dies and is succeeded by his son, Ella. Ella reigns for two years. Zimri, one of his officials, assassinates him during a party and succeeds him as king. As king, Zimri destroys Baasha's whole family, not sparing a single male relative or friend. Zimri reigns for just seven days. When the Israelite army hears what he's done, they make Omri, commander of the army, king, and immediately head for Terza, where Zimri is reigning. When Zimri hears the city is surrounded by the army, he sets fire to the royal palace, dying in the blaze. Things get complicated under Omri as the people of Israel split into two factions, half supporting Tibni, the other half supporting Omri. Omri reigns in Terza for six years, during which time he buys the hill of Samaria, reigning an additional six years from this new location. He is, however, a wicked king. Upon his death, he is succeeded by his notoriously evil son, Ahab. Ahab reigns from Samaria for 22 years, doing more evil than any of those before him, marrying, and I quote, Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and serving Baal, building a temple for him in Samaria. In addition, he set up an Asherah pole, and I'm quoting, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. The final note of the chapter is this, and I'm quoting, in Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. And that's all for today.